Hey, what's up? It's Mr. Bill. The track you're listening to right now is the result of a 35-hour tutorial series where I recorded the process of making this song from start to finish and explained myself along the way. If you're interested in learning how to make music or sharpening your craft, go to mrbillstunes.com and check it out. Enjoy the tune. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Sick. All right. Well, welcome, guys. You're officially on the Mr. Bill podcast now. Awesome. Um, What's up? Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. It's, I'm glad that your PR dude reached out to make this happen. I haven't really connected with anyone except Jack yet, so kind of cool to to have a chat. Um, yeah, as Jack was just saying, I was coming up with some like epic merch ideas the other day for Tony and Sound, and I was I thought that like Tony and Sounding Rods would be really sick. <laughs> so what's what is a sounding rod? Oh no! It's uh basically like a long thin piece of metal that you put down your pee hole. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, yep. and I guess like some <laughs> some people find it pleasurable. I've personally never tried it, but I'm I'm curious. From the I'm jump, curious too, because I I'm. <laughs> My curiosity is whether they find pleasure in the pain or if it's actually pleasurable. It's got to be a pain thing, I assume. I, I can't imagine yeah. that anyone uh, is going to not find that to be somewhat uncomfortable. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it also could be like a, um, like a domination thing, maybe. <laughs> like if someone's doing it to you and, and you're like, oh my God, I have no right. control over the situation. <laughs> 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 Some people like that loss of control. You buy it on yeah. forty bucks on Amazon. It yeah. looks like it would not. Oh, it doesn't look. You googled yeah. it? Of course, I had to see what it looked like. <laughs> I had that that test done a long time ago, where my doctor was like really traditional values, like you know, whatever. And I was like nineteen, and I was like, I'd like to get an STI test. And he was like, What? What do you need it for? And I was like, well, because I'm active and, you know, it's you're supposed to get them. And he was like, well, do you have any symptoms? And I was like, no, not really. I'm just trying to be safe. And he's like, fine, we'll do it. And then they, you know, usually it's a blood draw and a urine test. But he, they did this, this STI test that I've never had since. And I've gotten a ton. And <clears throat> they took a big like a metal swab like this long with a little cotton on the end of it and shoved it all the way down Ugh. my pit, my piss hole until like I felt it, the shock wave, the nerve wave sent up my spine, like in the back of my neck. It was the worst pain I've ever felt. He thought so you were cute. It feels like that. <laughs> Punisher. Maybe, maybe some people just like the, the nerve thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, good start to great, the podcast. Great start. Yeah. I was just about to say, straight to yeah. the this is what content. the Mr. Bell podcast is all about. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I listened to your album, by the way. Oh, I listened to like half of it. And one thing that I really enjoyed about it is that it listens through like a mix, like every track mixes into each other. I'm curious how you went about making that. Did you make like a bunch of tracks and then sort of figure out how to mix them? Or did you specifically linearly make this thing as a whole mix and then just cut it up into pieces? It was a bunch of tracks. The The thing I said recently that I, I think makes sense is like, you know how when you, you get asked to do a DJ mix for a radio show, or maybe like it was like a one, one extra essential mix, maybe you would put a mix together organically, but then you would notice moments where you're like, oh, I really wish this build was like more hype, or I wish that section of the song was over here instead. Right. So you might be motivated to make edits, you know, um, right. which I really do like. And so it was a bit more like that process where we had like a giant <laughs> bin of whips, almost like a crate where you'd play a show, trying to figure out which... Yeah, mm. trying to figure out which ones fit together and which ones we want to showcase, like, for the sound. And then um, I was kind of, like, playing with them, and originally the idea was, like, make stems of every song and then blend it in one giant project file, every song as stems. And that kind of worked. It was really tedious, of course. Um, but eventually it kind of, like, unlocked ideas and then what I decided to do instead was just implement those ideas. We also listened as a group and wrote notes, but like implement those ideas on the tracks themselves instead of doing custom stuff just for the mix necessarily. And then it ended up just being kind of like one project file had all the two tracks for the most part, or maybe just a few stems of something that I wanted to carry over. And then there's there's kind of alternate versions of songs a little bit. so. On the album version, like Bacterian, for example, I believe the album mix version, there's no intro drums at all. But if you get the DJ playout version, there's intro hi-hats so you can mix it. So there's subtle mm. differences there too. So it's like a blend, but it ended up being more traditional lining things up than you may think. Right. So I, I imagine now you've essentially got this like perfect mix that you'd be uh, tempted to want to play it that way at shows. So how does that work now converting <laughs> the album to shows? Because usually, that. I mean, like, I'll make an album and then I'll figure out a way in which it all works mix-wise. And the track list won't necessarily be like that on the album, but then I'll, like, kind of play those mixes in that order a lot for a few months after the album comes out. So are you, are you doing that or are you kind of rearranging them to play in the show or just... It's quite a bit rearranged, them? I think, because we... It's always, I mean, some of the tunes we've already been playing for like two years. So like Intimacy and Concrete Bench and stuff like that. We have other doubles that have worked with those before. Like there's that video from uh, Def where, is Intimacy part of that video? or Into Night? <laughs> I don't know, but the mix Maybe. that I've been doing forever was Intimacy Into Night by Benga. And then I think at Def was when Eric played that Chef tune afterwards. And we did that mix like a handful of times, but... We, like, I don't know if, like, the fans dislike this maybe, but when we find a mix that really works and everyone's heard it and it's kind of, like, become a thing, we always end up changing it up. So Yeah. There's um, very few that stick around a lot. Like, the ones that yeah. stick around a lot right now would be, like, um, Premium Grease into Portland is yeah. a really big one we've played a lot. Like, some of them will really stick in our sets and, and other Premium ones will get... Premium Grease isn't on the album, so... Yeah. yeah, but as far as like the the mix it the live mixes as a whole, we play kind of like half and half our original tunes and then tunes from our you know peers and record label promos and stuff. We love 
you know, live DJing and that whole element of like a surprise. And we don't all know what's going to happen because it's just spur of the moment, like picking through yeah. big playlists. So there's never been a set when we like, I don't think there's been a set yet where we played all the album tunes. There's been a few sets where we've played a, a lot of them for sure, but there's otherwise, some album tunes I've never played. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so when, I'm when you looking DJ. up like one time, I think at Sonic Bloom <laughs> yeah. and that's maybe nice. it. <laughs> So when you DJ, um, do you guys kind of all have um, your own sticks that you at home are all record boxing yourself and then on the day you're sort of combining or do you have like a communal Tony and sound stick that has all of the stuff on it? <laughs> we consider that at the very start, but what mm-hmm. we ended up doing was doing all three of us have individual sticks and then we Makes all sense. have our own <laughs> individual like library sorting methods, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I do... I, I've gone through phases for a couple years prior to this year. I was doing it just per show. I would drop a bunch of tunes in a playlist, and then I would kind of loosely organize them by style. So, like, triplets tunes would all be a chunk, and, like, turnian tunes would be a chunk, and, like, dark tunes and trappy tunes would all be chunks. Um, but what I've gone back to now, because we're playing, like, lately we've been trying to play a bunch of different styles, and not just as much like halftime, 140, like snare on three, uh, wobbler, mid bass, dubstep. We're trying to get more into like playing more two steppy, UKG stuff, more jungle influenced stuff, and more grime. And <clears throat> because of that, I've felt a need to like have a wider selection of options going into any set. So, like, if there's three of us and we quick mix we're probably playing between 40 to 60 tracks in a set, you know, I would say maybe 50, 70, even it's quick mixing. If you're mixing every 16 to 32 bars, that's every 27 to 54 seconds. Mm -hmm. So every 32 bars at 140, that's a two in a minute. Right. I think if we all had, Oh, sorry, Jack. If you had a finishing, um, if, if you're mixing 60 tunes in an hour and you're improvising, and you're playing a bunch of different styles and you're also trying to like read the room and play to the crowd and play to the system and play to where you are in the night. And there's all mm-hmm. these factors in the consideration when you're improvising. Mm-hmm. Then you want to have like for if there's three of us playing 60 tunes, that's 20 tunes a piece that you need max. But I'll put 200 tunes in my playlists to have right. that many options. Yeah. So that I can take it in whatever route I need to go. And in order to do that, I've had to have like really fine tuned playlist organization. So I have like a whole triplet section with like dark triplets, heavy triplets, light triplets, whatever. Then I have like a dark 140 section with like I have a folder called hoodies and smoke and I have like a folder called aliens and like stuff they're also just, there is no light playlist no. it's just all dark <laughs> I have a light playlist, actually. detroit's in the oh, light you do playlist. okay yeah but yeah and we have all... a 16th notes folder and a two-step folder and everything so and they're also coded using the tagging too yeah. it right. keeps it fun for us to do it individually because then we can still like surprise each other when we come mm-hmm. to the show and like yeah uh, i can imagine together. that's fun having um, like people dropping stuff that was unexpected and, right you know, like or and like finding mixes on the spot maybe that like you wouldn't necessarily have found otherwise that are yep. more exciting than you could have imagined and stuff do when when you are playing do you kind of like 
each quarantine yourself to one CDJ or do you just sort of like <laughs> one person will jump in, do a bunch of shit, next person will jump in, do a bunch of shit? We're we currently playing two tracks a piece, so that delegates one person to just each side because we're playing with four decks, so that makes things pretty convenient. Yep. When there's two people. Mm. Yeah. Oh, right. Is there often only two people? Yes. Yeah. Majority of our shows is uh, Jack and I handle the majority of the touring. And okay. interesting some more. That's why you've seen probably the most of me. <laughs> right. And also, is that sound? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, do you ever just do one person doing the show or is it always minimum two? Yep. Yep. We do one, two. It depends on kind of like the size of the show, how much they could afford. Because if flights costs are too much, like a couple weeks ago, I played in Missoula alone because flying to Missoula is super yeah. expensive. And then the routing to the next show the next night would have been insanely Insane. expensive. Yeah. So. When I do a thumbs up, it's just it, on yours. It just automatically it's, does that. That's awesome. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I got a, oh, what the fuck is going on right now, dude? <laughs> it's just a thing that. Thing. For oh those who are not God. watching, Jack has fireworks on his webcam and thumbs up signs and all sorts of memes. Jesus. Put some stickers Wait, on. so. I was chatting with you the other day in that, that public producer's chat, Jack, and you were saying, like, kind of splitting the money three ways sort of sucks. But at the same time, you can play three cities in one night, yeah. which is also kind of a thing. Do you ever do that? Is there ever two Tonian sounds happening at the same time in different places of the country? We've done, we've done two. Yeah, like we've done two, um, two shows in different countries. We, I don't think we've ever done anything... Like within the U.S. that was the on the same night. night? US. Oh, we, we did. Have. Was it like Philly and some other show? It was, before, of the show? COVID. It was yeah. before COVID when people were more used to just sending one of us. Right. Mm. And yeah, I can imagine like sides of the country too. Right. Yeah, but I can imagine logistically it makes a lot more sense to just send one or two for sure. Because yeah, I mean if you're getting paid assumedly the same rates as like. Most DJs we sending are. three people <laughs> just means you get paid like yeah the the, the profit share goes down to fuck all. I mean the profit yeah. share is already really low. I feel like like every time I look at a show on paper, I'm like, all right, remove twenty percent just for managers and agents. Yeah, remove right. probably another ten or twenty percent for flights and hotel and ground and shit. And remove probably like another ten percent for marketing. And yeah, after you start shipping, and if you times that by three, yeah, I can see how that would be a yeah. logistical nightmare. Hotel, at least, we split a room. It's usually a double, but double rooms cost sometimes a little more. But flights, flights is the big thing. We're yeah. like, yeah. you know, we just actually had like a big dip in finances where we were worried we weren't going to pay ourselves because we had to buy a bunch of flights for the tour that we're on. And the tour hadn't started yet, and we had just taken three weeks off from touring. And, and we also spent a bunch stopped, of money on the album rollout. Exactly. And if the train ever stops with touring, the income basically slows down because our Patreon slowed down after COVID and everyone's not really inside anymore. Um, so we had like a dip in, in the bank account. And then we had to buy all these flights for shows that were in the future that we hadn't been paid for yet. Mm -hmm. Hadn't even got all the deposits yet. So we had this like panic moment essentially where, you know, because just buying all the flights was so expensive. Um, yeah. And then even now, recovering the money, we're still, like, hurting from it. And it's just, it's always this weird calculus. Right. Yeah, and trying to do things in the way that makes the most sense. Not even, like, the most, like, you know, 
oh, I'm gonna stand for this or whatever. It's like just trying to be sustainable for everybody involved. It can just be really challenging. And then like, you know, you in in putting this album together, of course you wanna make sure that it like is heard and it makes a splash and all that stuff. So it's hard to know, you know, we're just saying yes to a lot of different things, music videos, you know, good art, which I'm really glad that we got Safe Haven on that art because it looks yeah. so insane. But all that kind of adds up. And then it's it's also something you didn't mention about shows is like media. You know, there's all a right, lot of yeah. pressure to get those really hype Instagram clips, you know. And so that's just like another, you know, between 200 and 500 dollars per show. Yeah. Right. You know? To get like so, a recap video and rolls and shit. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of like, yeah, like DJ homies who right now they'll I mean, they can't even afford to get media because they're only getting paid like you know, a couple hundred bucks for a show. And if they, they either have to have some friend who's going to do it for free, otherwise the, the media at the shows, they want essentially like half or more of what your fee would be anyways. That's not even mm-hmm. including what you're spending to get there. So yeah, that's when you need tough. to invest in a GoPro and a tripod. Yeah. You just got to yeah. start doing it. We were just talking about that not 40 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a bad idea, actually. I've been asked to do it from my team a few times and I'm like, ah, I don't want to fucking set up a GoPro, but it's such a, yeah. First world problem. Jeff is doing it. He's got a 360 <laughs> cam, so like he can select to have, you know, the view on him or on the crowd or whatever, mm. depending on and what move the around. Is. And he's yeah. made Yo, some cool videos. I saw this video the other day on Instagram of a guy who put a 360 camera in his mouth and then he was kayaking. And it looks so fucking funny, dude. Like, you can see his teeth are all huge and shit. And, like, it looks so funny. And I was like, yo, I kind of want to get one and put it in my mouth while I'm DJing. Get some some weird Instagram Like those little face cams where it's, like, pointing uh, right at his face. The guy who, like, runs around like this. Yeah. Francis Bourgeois. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Train guy. Train guy. Train guy. guy. Yeah, I have seen him. He's the best. Yeah, yeah, I was actually, thinking if yeah. you do that, he's a big electronic music fan too. Yeah. He goes to, oh, nice. I think he's been to hit and run parties in Manchester. I'm not sure. We, what you gotta to do though, him. if you're gonna do the mouth thing, is you gotta have a little bit of that feed from the microphone in your mix too. So you just hear like. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy the GoPro grip that's like a mouthpiece, and then it sits like right here in front of you. That might be the most real view ever versus wait like so the grip is actually a mouthpiece <laughs> yeah so it's like comes out of your mouth and then it's like a little platform and the gopro sits like right here <laughs> so i like, thought they were just putting the gopro like mount piece in their mouth for no, fun you can buy a mouthpiece i've mouth seen piece. uh the, the, these free runners doing it when they do their stunts i guess that like, makes sense bite down on it and then just like that do their so dangerous if you're free running what if you fall and hit your chin you'd bust all your teeth Unless the mouthpiece, I guess, is like it's it's not like you know locked into your mouth or anything. All you so yeah, true. But anyways, I mean, they're already taking massive risks already. Yeah, so say, what's yeah. one more like you yeah, know you're right. holding on to something? Sure, whatever. He's like, I'll ride this mountain bike down a ninety degree incline, but putting a thing in my mouth is where I draw the line. Yeah, I'm gonna jump this thirty stair with this thing yeah. in my mouth. Like yeah, whatever. that's how I was just thinking. Yep. No different. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so I'm curious how, how your business exactly runs in the sense, like I assume you have like a Tony and Sound LLC registered and stuff and then you're all probably registered as like uh, like CEOs or COOs Just or whatever. Co- co-partners. Co-partners. Co-owners, yeah. Right. And then does so like everything go into one bank account and then you just kind of look at it at the end of every month and split it? Yeah. We have salary now. 
<laughs> yep. Oh, really? Great. So we pay out. We have an expected like regular payout, mm-hmm. um, but it you know it's like a goal, and mm. we usually hit it. But the problem with usually hitting it is that it becomes a necessity, right? So that's always a, yeah. t- a tough challenge, and like it's always really boomer bust. But um, we've been an LLC for quite a while, and now actually we're in the process of switching to an S corp um, mm. because. It should be more equitable from the taxation side because you can essentially do what we're already doing, which is set a salary for yourself. And then you can take profits from that. I'm still learning about this. Um, And it can be non-taxed above your salary to a certain extent. And then you can save money from what I understand in your business account. And it, it doesn't get taxed until it's like utilized. Whereas right now we are taxed on gross income no matter what. You know, and of course, there's like offsetting costs. But with the S Corp, I believe you're taxed on the draws and you can leave a lot in the bank. And that was always the thing where it's like that makes the most sense because like you want to have a rainy day fund. I don't want to have to be like extra taxed for the rainy day fund. Yeah. You know what I mean? Saving (laughs) up. Yeah, exactly. So so that's going to happen. Apparently, you can only switch between an LLC and an S Corp in the States within the first quarter of every year. So that's in process now. And so starting in the first quarter, that should switch. But we won't be taxed as an S-Corp until 2025 or something. Or calendar year 2024. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a contract between all three of you as well? I can't remember when we formed. has some terms in it. Yeah, we had some like originating document because I think you need that. Um, you, we had to set like what each member role was. Yeah, right. it's a long yeah. time ago. Yeah, but we'll probably yeah, have to institute that lead wobble creator. Yeah, because we're gonna need to do <laughs> things like payroll and some other things. And like, uh, there's more stipulations of being an S corp. And so everybody was like, "Are you sure you want to do it?" And I was like, "Look, we're gonna save thousands, just a little more like paperwork and saving it's just thousands." Like a formality at the end of the day, too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. We'll well, how does um, how does working on music go? Like, do you all sort of start things and then do you all work out of a single Dropbox folder, or are you just kind of like meeting up once a week or something? Or we used to meet up once a week when we shared a studio. Um, but and Andrew, the way when we started, yep. Andrew moved now to a different state, and then well, what really happened was COVID happened, and we all mm-hmm. went to home studios. Yeah. Um, and now since then, I mean, even then. Most of the writing is we each individually write tunes, mm-hmm. and then Andrew's the finisher basically. So, a lot of the time, he mix masters stuff or like adds like little, you know, like polish to sparkle or or something. Yeah, um, some of the stuff we'll finish on our own too, though. I used to do some of the mix masters, but uh, I have uh, I don't trust my ears anymore because I'm going deaf in my right ear because I've got that. Otosclerosis condition. So wait, what um, condition? Uh, <clears throat> it's like a arthritis of the stapes bone, the hammer. You have the, arthritis in your ear. Yeah, it's called <laughs> otosclerosis. Andrew Huang actually yeah. did a video on it. He has it too. Yeah, um, I knew Andrew had some issues with his hearing. I, I didn't know this was like a thing that you could get arthritis of the ear. It's pretty common. I think like one in. A hundred or one in ten people get it or something. It's really common. And it's like a high yeah. passing. Is it a high passing for <laughs> That's everyone? That's the weirdest thing. Yeah. So you, it, lose, you lose low frequencies first. 
So in my right ear, underneath 250 hertz, I have a 20 decibel per octave drop. It's like a high pass fit, like a 20 dB uh, per octave slope high pass filter at 250 hertz, basically. Oh damn! Or like a, it's more of like a high shelf because it doesn't like totally roll off in it's the low. It's logarithmic or whatever. <clears throat> um, but it sounds like a tin can in my right ear. It sounds like a cell phone. Damn. So well, that my, sucks. I'm sorry to hear. Yeah, and I'll lose it totally within like 15 years. I think it'll be down to like 10 percent hearing. And then after that, you can get like a, they can laser out the bone and then put in like a new prosthetic bone and then you wear it uh, like a hearing aid too. So you can get some of your hearing back, but it's going to be weird. And like, I just haven't trusted my ears since yeah. then. Well, At it's definitely been... still possible to make good sounding music with one ear. OPO does it. Yeah. Or it I don't know crazy. exactly what. Lost one ear yeah, I don't know what the deal was exactly. It might have been the same thing, but yeah, he like is completely deaf in one ear and he somehow manages to mix and master his stuff to sound great. It's really common. A lot of people, if you hear that they only have one ear, if you ask, it's there's a good chance that they have otosclerosis if it's been diagnosed. To me, The other it crazy feels... thing too is okay. uh, I can still hear through bone conduction. So if I get bone conduction headphones and there's this actually this product that a friend of mine uh, was helping the guy advertise. Um, but it's, uh, it's like, uh, I can't remember what it's called for some reason, but it's, it's like called, the ear things that like sit on your temples basically, right? Yeah. So there's the bone conduction headphones, which they, they sit against your bones and then you hear because it vibrates your skull. And then that goes, it bypasses the hammer. Basically it'll vibrate the, the drum directly Right. There's also like a basically a sub pack that sits on the back of your head that vibrates your skull, but it's for low frequencies. And I like now that I'm starting to lose it, I'm like, man, maybe I should hit them up again so that I can. <laughs> on one side is a headphone, and the other side is a sounding rod. It just goes yeah. right in. <laughs> the sounding rod. <laughs> just connect it straight to the driver of your speaker. Oh, <laughs> To me, though, it feels like, and I am not experiencing this, so I could be 100% wrong, but like, you know, the, the age old kind of advice of like, if you know your headphones or you know your speakers, you can get good work done. It feels yeah. similar to that, you know? And if, yeah, like if you nothing could, else, uh, what else, your you brain do? would eventually like calibrate to it, kind of, which is, I think, yeah. what's happened in Andrew Huang and OPO's case. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. But if it's ever changing, then it's going to be hard to calibrate, I think, until it gets to a point where it like stays the same for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get a little bit of vertigo from it too. I think, but and from yeah. my neck as well. But yeah, it's. Are you still climbing? Yeah. Nice. I haven't yeah. climbed in ages. I need it's to get back like into it. it. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not in the best shape for it because I like. Uh, I haven't gone for a long time. <laughs> it's hard to stay up with it when you're like touring and stuff. Yeah, but, totally. Uh, it's extremely hard, I think, to tour and and then keep like a solid home routine at the same time yeah. yeah i was up to doing like v5s maybe v6s and now i'm back down to like v2s it's really annoying because i've also gained like 20 pounds which I'm is like I'll now it's like climbing with 20 pounds of weight on a vest <laughs> you know it's right. like yeah. fair enough um so what are you guys working on now are you just touring the album basically and not really worrying about making new sh new stuff at the moment 
Like we're kind yeah. of refocusing on on like what we want to write next, and you know, not even really thinking about where we want to release stuff, but just what's going to be the most fun and interesting going forward for the writing process. For you know, different. I think we're going to do more stuff at different tempos than just 140, because that's just been really enjoyable. And then otherwise, right now, just really focusing on. Um, there's only. I guess four weekends left of our found spaces tour with the Whittler, which is going by really fast. I can't even believe that we're already through all of that. And then, uh, you know, a few bigger shows for the end of the year, but just kind of slowing down a little bit. Um, this is our second, you know, big tour this year. And I think we're all looking forward to like refocusing and writing some music that we enjoy. Yeah, I think too. It's like we want to let the album breathe because it is twenty six right. friggin' tracks, you know. Right. <laughs> so I think it is important to like, um, like I'm I'm getting inspired and I want to write some stuff and like there's been a whole bunch of admin to do, so there hasn't been a lot of writing time. But I want to make sure that the spotlight stays on the album for quite a while because I think it deserves it, you know. And we want it to really feel like it it was here for a bit before we like immediately VIP stuff or immediately remix, you know. Like, mm. let it stand for a bit, at least in my mind. Yeah, that makes sense. What kind of uh, stuff do you think you're interested in writing next? Jungle for me. I want to make more jungle mm. stuff. But I want to make jungle at 140 is like a big huh. goal of mine. There's some, we have a track out already called The Summoning that I did a couple years ago. That, that 140, like 140 jungle, stuff. jungle track. Yeah. There's yep. a good amount of 140 jungle out there too. And like, if you really go back, like way back to like 91, 92 era when it was still kind of like, <clears throat> cause you know, jungle and hardcore used to kind of be the same thing. That old school, hardcore breakbeat, hardcore sound from the early nineties <clears throat> in that period of time where it was just starting to like diverge into happy hardcore and then jungle that early stuff is all really slow. So there's some like concepts there uh, to think about. And it does, it just sounds a little weird because I think we're all so used to hearing breakbeats chopped at like at least 160 BPM, but sometimes upwards of like 170, 180. So it sounds a little strange and you have to like kind of find new ways to cut the breaks and like new rhythms and stuff. But, mm. and the Amen break sounds like shit at 140 in my opinion. Like <laughs> it just sounds like two times stretched or something. So. Yeah, I yeah, feel like the person sense. who did it the best in my mind is Benton. And I don't know that he's put anything out in a while, but yeah. if you look up Benton on Bandcamp, there's so many sleeper, really sick 140 <laughs> jungle tracks that felt super, it didn't give anything up, super authentic, just great tracks. Um, and then he kind of he kind of rinsed that style for a while. And then I haven't checked in for a while to see if he's like evolved it or anything, but he was the closest to me on like really hype, authentic sounding, interesting, jungly 140 tracks. But I would also like to dif definitely different, different tempos, but incorporating more of the four on the floor feel even harder. I was going to say that too. Yeah. While still making it like palatable to like the halftime 140 people, you know, cause I think there's still so much that can be explored there even beyond swing and all that kind of stuff. There's so many like, motion switching and like things that are really sick like uh syncopated rhythms that go over really well on four on the floor tracks that like they just pop differently with the halftime stuff because i flipped mm. 
I flipped a couple. I keep forgetting what the name of this genre of techno is, Jack. Do you remember what I was like? I just hard groove. I was like, I just discovered my favorite techno genre. Finally, it's called hard groove. And it basically sounds like a drum stem with nothing else going on. Um, Hard groove. So I flipped, I flipped four hard groove tracks into halftime tracks. And I love it. I can't wait to try to write something like that original. But it's just like a lot of drums. When we're saying halftime, we mean like dubstep with a snare on three, not like yeah, 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 right. Not, not like, like new right. tempo half. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, the first link that pops up when I type in hard groove is a resident advisor link. Perfect. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Never heard about it. has a label, I think, called hard groove, and I think mm. that might be Ooh, why people okay. are calling it that now. Mm. Interesting. Ben Can you like, explain this genre to me? Like you said, it's just a drum stem, basically with. Nothing it's else? it's maximal. I I consider it maximal. The it's stuff I like in it, it, yeah, it's it's got a lot of percussion, um, but even some of it has like some kind of mid rangey sounds ish or like bass esque sounds. And there's an intensity to it that I really like. Um, but a, a lot of what I've heard there's, of it is just it just chugs along. You know, there's mm-hmm. a usually more like layers of percussion grooves too. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot, and they do a lot of stuff where it's like that that two two over four style uh you know where the the bar for them is actually just two beats so there's like a lot of two beat loops but then they're finding polyrhythms inside of those two beats that continue and then they'll do like three over four polyrhythm stuff that gives it that kind of like i don't know tribal feel people Mm. yeah i think tribal is fair when it comes to like the complexity and the density of the rhythms it's just like more polyrhythmic and yeah would um, you say um the biggest focus of 140 is rhythm or would you say the biggest focus of it is like sound design or melody or vibe or what, what would you say is like the if you had to focus on one main thing with a 140 track what would you say you would focus on to make the best possible 140 track or what do you think that that most of the tracks in that genre uh what is the main focus of most of them in, in a musical sense there's two answers to that because I think for us, for me, I think especially, I don't know about you guys, but I would say for me, the focus is rhythm. I think for most 140 dubstep producers, whether it's like, you know, quote unquote, bro step stuff or rhythm or like even like the now quote unquote deep dubstep stuff like DDD people or whatever you want to call the space that we're all in. I don't know what to call like guys like Saka or you or like Vector or Chi or any, all of us are making 140 now. But I think that a lot of the focus in the States, at least in the scene that we're all occupying is on the sound design. Exactly. Yeah. And less on the rhythm. And I think when we started turning we had all been rhythm DJs before, like we had all been producing rhythm and, um, the thing with that is the sound design of the basses, those basses are so huge. Their frequency spectrum full it's from bass frequencies all the way to highs. And they occupy the whole mix. So you can't like a lot of the times if you're making a rhythm tune that's super compressed, you only can fit in a kick, a snare, a hi-hat on the top, and then those bass sounds. And you can't yeah. put in a lot of like percussions and like change the rhythm up a lot because the way that it's so sound design focused. So when we started Turnium, we were like, we don't want to do that anymore. We want to be able to mm-hmm. incorporate more percussive layers and change up space. the grooves a little bit more and add more space and everything. Yeah, I think um, 
rhythm is the right answer for at least the way that we arrange like playlists and stuff that just makes the most sense because we're always trying to fit rhythmically with each other live you know whether it's like okay i'm at four on the floor i could continue that kind of vibe with what i'm playing and that style or something that will fit with that is like you literally cut it in half but it's not swung it still stays like a straight time thing so again just it's all rhythmic I mean, the, mm, the first thing I sense. thought of was, like, Philip DeKick and Fixate. Like, what makes them cool is the grooves, because it's all 808s and, like, FM wobbles. And I'm still happy with FM wobbles. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> I think it's more interesting about the presentation We're of those basic We're all doing elements. FM from B. <laughs> That's like <laughs> a doesn't matter what kind of music degrees. you're making right now. End of the day. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Rhythm. You make a lot of concessions on the musical side of things. Uh, to fit the amount of, um, I guess, yeah, it, it really is impossible to get much more fitted into a rhythm track. And yeah, yeah, I sometimes fear that I'm making a little bit too too many musical concessions to get my mixes to sound the way I do and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I don't know, I think at the end of the day, I just l- like a good mix down too much. And <laughs> yeah. I'm sometimes happy to like make a musical concession, unfortunately, just to hear like some slightly nicer stereo field or something, which is sure. like such a self-indulgent engineering thing to do. <laughs> yeah. We're I embracing mean, more and more the yeah. shit mix down, you know, like it's true too. Like I'll put sketch cassette on my masters sometimes now. Uh, that is hideous. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't have tempo yeah. drift. Is there yeah, a two right. thumbs down thing for you, Jack? Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Does it do it? Does it do anything? I mean, oh, oh, sure. rain, there's a storm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, That's so perfect. Good. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah I, like, I, when, when I was doing um, more of the bro step stuff, the first thing I did was make a bass patch, and that would signify the entire concept of the entire song. So I just think we're in a, a slightly different place than that. And I still love that stuff. And like I listen to Do Jump you, Up drum and bass all the time. And like Jump Up is kind of about hearing a fresh sound, you know? But Do you start with drums now? Yeah. Yep. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I don't know how anybody starts anywhere else. You you either start from a vocal or or drums. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. I, I I very rarely I think start from anything else. It's so hard to fit drums around like a bass groove, even if the tune is like a bass groove oriented. And then the other thing too, or a vocal, but it's it's really hard to write a bass groove without the drums, I feel like. It doesn't make sense out of context. I can't even do, now lately when I do sound design and I make like, uh, you know, mud pies or whatever, um, I lay down a drum track just to play in the background and then I just record the bass. Mm, but the drum smart. track informs the the mm-hmm. rhythms of like all the LFOs and everything and the different swing that I add. Mm-hmm. Swing is such yeah. a big thing too though with a rhythm question because I feel like and this is like always a criticism I have of a lot of producers lately is people the drums are really quantized lately. Mm-hmm. Unless if you're doing that shifting a lot of people are doing that thing where they shift the hi hats forward with a track delay. You know, so it's like slightly like but i think a lot of people miss like the swing on the 16th you know on the e and it's my fave notes and that's a big thing that i think differentiates a lot of like 
I guess, classic dubstep from like the more modern stuff is that used to be really focused on those like swingy hi-hats because it was fresh coming out of UKG, like two-step stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to like get more swung hats and stuff and less of that just like quarter note hat keeping time the entire track. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like when you quantize everything, you can always get the mix sounding a little better too because then everything is in phase. Like yeah. if your sub and your kick and shit are starting off, then like all of a sudden you've got two sub waveforms like basically fighting each other. And yeah. but again, it's like sometimes you got to decide where you want to make the concession, whether it's on the mix down of the production or if you want to make it more musical or uh, rather maybe not more musical, but, but like uh, I guess musical in a different way that you prefer or whatever. Or like loudness, you know, like right. we aren't we aren't trying to be completely uh, reliant on getting maximum loudness, which has been so freeing, honestly. Dude, I bet I've been fucking mastering a tune since nine a.m. today. The same tune <laughs> I've been working on it all, just the master, like just a stereo master all day, trying to get it to be negative four lofts. Yeah, and what sucks <laughs> about that is like, four. and I get it, I totally get it, and I think it's valid in a lot of genres. But at the same time, you're kind of like. I feel like when I go and I do and I beat my head against that kind of task, I have a good song and I am basically figuring out how can I get it really loud without completely ruining it. Just ruining it a little is often kind of how I feel. And that's it. It just got frustrating at all to be even having having to do that. You know, it so is it's frustrating. Nice. Yeah, I don't like doing it, but I feel like I, I don't necessarily feel like I have to, but I feel like. If I do, it has more potential for being successful because louder does just objectively equal better. Mm-hmm. If you show someone two mixes and one of the mixes is like objectively better in every way, but one of them is just 10 dB louder, they'll 100% mm-hmm. go, that one sounds better. Even if it's like, even if when you level match them, they sound like the louder one sounds like totally crushed and dog shit. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, I think, yeah, I've yeah, been thinking about that lately though because um, <laughs> probably whatever um so heaven sent i worry when we play that out that it's it's too full i don't know if you guys have noticed this but like on the system it's a wall of noise it's a wall of noise it's loud and like it's it's a little unfortunate i think that one works really well in headphones um and that's the the second track on the album right um but live it doesn't do what we want it to do and i i find that kind of sad and maybe I could just make a version for, for us to play live or something. But um, I think we really appreciate. And then the fact that we want people to come to shows to listen to these tracks allows us to like have punchier dynamics and more of that kind of stuff. Because we're not necessarily always aiming. Like this album was was intended to be on Spotify for a listening experience that that had some sort of like guidelines, you know. And normally we're just trying to make stuff that really rips on a sound system. Do you and know like how some loud of that Heaven Sent was? Luffs was? Um, I read I read RMS. I don't read Luffs and I can't uh, remember. I, I basically try to get between minus three and minus two RMS when everything's in. Um, but that one might have gone all the way up to like minus one or yeah. something like that. I'm going for like eight minus eight or seven Luffs. On Luffs. Sometimes six. I think X Prismatic was six, but then you mastered it the final master so yeah and i i tried to squish these a lot i i i even kind of smile curved them a little bit because i also wanted to make sure that this was like as 
casually listenable as possible when it came to the mix. Like I really didn't want you to notice any mix or tone or color changes between what you just heard and our thing, which normally isn't really a concern. Normally when I'm doing mix masters for us and stuff like that, I'm, I'm purely going for what the song wants. And if sometimes it's gotta be shitty and a little clipped and messy, that's like what it's supposed to be, you know? Cause we also reference like a lot of old metalheads and old like, you know, kind of shitty produced drum and bass. Not yeah. saying that metalheads is, but it's like it's like just pushed through the board, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're not Mackie trying to be really clean. <laughs> yeah. We're just yeah. clipping through a Mackie. Yeah. Or even oh, some oh. of those like uh Miami bass tracks or like stuff that Nicky Nair plays and stuff like that. They're not Nicky Nair is so sick though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it all stuff. it it works for what it is and it's definitely not like your run-of-the-mill expertly cleaned whatever you know yeah but that's like part of the energy that we enjoy we're not really going for that like that like super wide like 3d stereo field and super dynamic kind of like the dmz sound or whatever that a lot of like true heads dubstep people are fixated on we're also not going for like the rhythm loudness either it's this kind of like in between space where there's this there's a dirt on it yeah and like kind of a a grittiness or like a saturation from clipping or from whatever i've always thought of it i don't know if you've thought about it this way but i always think about it as sounding like a white label rip of a track that no one has. That's like yeah, what I want it to I be. It's like yeah. you ripped it from white label because you bought it at the store. No one has this track and you're like pumped to play it. It's a little messy. It's a little raw. It's like yeah. I even I'm a little One of scared. The hi-hats is like 7 dB too loud. Yeah. Something that scares <laughs> me right now is that I've been listening to tons and tons of like jazz fusion because I really like it. And I've been really enjoying things that are out of key. And I'm worried that it's going to like... <laughs> really make me just write a lot of terrible stuff because like should just write out a key <laughs> fuck you dude i, I know it. that's that's what i have been doing and like when uh ken and i were working on like some random whip in the studio the other day he was like no that's totally wrong i was like it's wrong in all the right ways <laughs> you know mm. but yeah i've gone through a few at. phases in my life where i've gotten like super into rob clough or something and then all of a sudden start writing all this like mega dissonant stuff and yeah. then come back to it six months later like what the fuck was i thinking yeah, like, yeah. like everything is just detuned and like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, using like microtonal scales in like yeah. contact and shit to like there's just it an sound. emotion to it though is there the is thing. and i mean yeah. i think there is like a legitimacy to having a kind of rawness to your tracks too like mm-hmm. for instance sudden death is a good example of this his stuff is like almost always mono <laughs> and it's just yeah. there is some stereo stuff going on but it's like like the first few times I heard it, I thought I was like he'd uploaded the wrong file or something. But, <laughs> it, but like now I'm kind of used to that from him. Like whenever I hear him, uh, sure. something by him, I, yeah, it's got like a very unique kind of sound to it, and it translates on a big system really, really well. Right. Especially when you've got like all these other people, like uh, making this extremely clean and extremely like balanced type of stuff, mm-hmm. and then he he plays and it's just like this big mono like distorted wall, and it's super raw <laughs> and it just cuts through mm-hmm. in a different way yeah. he's always had crazy mix downs too he used to send tracks in when we did demo, demo listen, listen. Days right, on yeah. our, like a long time ago on twitch before turning mm-hmm. we used to have this like track listening show that we did in like 2015 and it was when like sudden death and ula seal and digitist and those guys were like 
the Loud Boys. Just kind of starting. <laughs> they, we called them the Loud, or they called themselves the Loud Boys. They called boys. themselves the Loud Boys, yeah. <laughs> Free Marauder. Like, death tunes were always yeah. like, I was always like, damn, this is fucking weird. And then he mm-hmm. just like found <laughs> the right way to do it and just, yeah, it's, his stuff is crazy. I love his shit. I still have a deep love for way too loud rhythm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's satisfying. I, I think millennials like basically figured out all the most satisfying things of music in the 90s and dubstep and like just mashed it all together into this crazy yeah. like hyper dopamine inducing shit. Yeah. Like you had any, you know, metal background like, well, we got some music for you. Done. Right. You know. Yeah, did did you guys have a metal background? Oh yeah. Eric and I uh, did. Jack yeah. and I. Yeah, I feel like so many people in the electronic music scene come from a metal background like I do as well. I before I was into electronic music, I played guitar for like 10 years and was just yeah. in bands and loved Metallica and Tool and shit like that. Yeah. I, there's a lot of similarities I think between them because metal it's like both extremely uh raw and like kind of fucked up sounding and also like really tight. And I think when you, at least when I heard electronic music for the first time, I was like, wow, it's like got all the rhythms and shit of metal, but it's so much tighter and so much cleaner. It's like all of the rhythms yeah, and shit yeah. aren't, aren't getting like exactly. drawn away from by like all this extra noise and shit. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. But the <laughs> yeah. other good parts too, I remember going to some of my first electronic shows and I was just pleasantly surprised at the whole dance floor element like i don't have to get completely destroyed trying to enjoy this and you can you know Uh, have space and look around (laughs) had to get a little bit over the uh, whole like ooh, you're on a dance floor and people can look around and it's not just a wall of people where you can't (laughs) see anything but the energy had a lot of similarities and like um we all definitely like a lot of, you know, darker styles of music. So that translated really well into, you know, a lot of the music we like now. Mm. And uh, yeah, so there's a, and I feel like I know plenty of homies who loved, you know, metal shows before they got into electronic music as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, what's been your favorite show on this tour or ever? Tampa was sick. <laughs> Tampa was really that was this tour. Tampa, Tampa was really good. good. Was that at that karaoke bar place? No, not no, TK Lounge. TK Lounge. Oh. It was that at, uh, sick. I played there recently. Yeah, TK are really fun. It was at like a. It was like an art space, but the the stage, the dance floor. If you're like looking out, how do I orient this with the camera? Mm-hmm. I can't even think. What from our perspective, looking out, the dance floor is like pretty long. But then there was like a second floor kind of tier mm-hmm. where people could kind of view. And uh, instead of having a railing, there was like a chain link fence. So it felt like really around like, the top level. Real, mm-hmm. There was a chain link fence. Yeah. yeah. And then mm-hmm. there was like lighting production was pretty. They just had a red light on the system. And then as well as the like our stage riser that we were on. So it was just that lighting the whole night. There was an LED behind us, but we didn't use it at all. But in the next room, this was really interesting. Yeah. I think this turned out well. They actually had a massive floor to ceiling curved, yeah, huge floor to ceiling curved LED wall. But it wow. was in the second room, and they <laughs> were just shooting. They had a camera pointed at at the DJ setup, so they could just project like what was going on onto that and then they were like affecting it a whole bunch and stuff too but there was like a small monitor speaker out there duplicating the music too in the main room that's cool but it was great there was just a lot of energy at that show 
and you know and fat Hennessy rig in there it was just like felt like you could kind of play whatever you wanted and people were just eating it up i think it, it, really it did a good job of being a found space which is what we're shooting for too because it was different than we've experienced before and like something that we are excited about is like zones kind of like this corner over here could be a group of people or this room over there could be doing something and not in like just like a action area chill out area but like i thought that was super mm. cool that you could just have an alternative space to go that had a little more room i think there's like vendors in there but like you can feel the bass still because it was really close and they had that monitor speaker and the big led wall it, you could like choose you know kind of like what your comfort there was also was. <laughs> there was also people spinning fire like right off to our right while we were playing yeah. which was and they had them like sectioned off and like a roped off area which was cool I like designated areas for like flow arts and if you're having like seating at a show just have it in one specific area mm-hmm. mm. but nice. that show that show was really fun um this last show we did in brooklyn new york was spectacular where um, was that at that was at the chocolate, chocolate factory. factory okay um, it felt like, like a really warehousey space yeah. <laughs> and it is also a chocolate factory yeah. which is cool um but yeah, really warehousey feeling environment, and they had like twenty light bars placed throughout um, underneath the DJ table and on the ceiling areas, and they had the full Intent audio rig, which is just one of my favorites in the whole uh, states. Yeah, um, really, we really like rig right now. It, yeah, one of my. Favorites. Have you guys played a Flash in DC? Yeah, it's yep. unbelievable. Yo, Andrew, you is, have to go is, to that. That's show. like the best sounding club in the states, I reckon. I think so. Yeah. I, I asked the owner afterwards. I was like, "Why? Why does it, have you acoustically treated this space?" And he's like, "Yeah, we imported all of these Japanese denims and like put them all over the walls and the ceiling and shit." So the whole thing is like treated with fucking yeah. jeans. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. jeans, jean material is <laughs> yeah. like the best subtrap material, if I remember correctly. It's, I was looking really? at the building treatment recently, and someone was recommending to use recycled denim because yep. it's actually pretty cheap right Super now. Super smart. Yep. Yeah, so it's like they actually have a properly, like, acoustically. It sounds just like basically a studio. It's really nice, yeah. but a lot bigger, obviously. But not they that much even, bigger. I mean, it's like 200 people, you know. I feel like yeah. one of the things that happens when you blow shows up to, like, the Hampton Coliseum level or... You know, stuff like that is they just start to sound horrible. Sound suffers <laughs> terribly. It's, yeah, oh, yeah. I was I, I played a, a Hampton Coliseum with Ganja, and I can't say that I liked the sound there at all. Yeah, it was just all reverb. Super so I, I kind of, um Yeah, yeah, I kind of like playing those smaller clubs sometimes, like the Black Box and Flash, where it's just a little tight room that's like being done properly and sounds right. really solid. They're usually my favorite shows because mm-hmm. I don't know the sound is a big part of it, and I like sound. Yeah. Yeah, we played in the caverns in Tennessee. And How is that? I've never been there. It sounds like you're in a cave. It's <laughs> yeah, the, the sound is really difficult to get right in there. Yeah, I bet. it was super cool though. I mean, 10 as an environment, cool. I was gonna say like it was uh, yeah. such a spectacular like place to have a venue, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I could definitely see maybe not even elect- like some different kind of electronic shows versus ours that are very like you know bass centric. Um, I think more like sound designy immersive pretty stuff would go off really well or just like other genres of music would be great Mm -hmm. Uh, but as like a show experience it was really cool like you park your car up the hill and walk down and around and into this like front entrance of this cavern it was so cool well how do you rate it like against red rocks if red rocks is like a i don't know nine out of ten 
What's the Kevin's? I think it's cooler than Red Rocks, but I'm not mm. I'm not at starstruck by Red Rocks personally. I'm kind of not a big fan of Red Rocks. Why? Uh I don't like the the I don't like the sound restriction for one. I don't think it usually sounds very good there. I don't think Fair it's enough. loud enough. But I, I mean yeah. like as a an environmental place, because it doesn't sound good at the cabins either, right? Sure. Yeah. Environmentally I, environmentally too, it's for me the aesthetic at Red Rocks is ah oh, big spectacle. Oh my god, and the caverns is more like you're in a fucking cave. <laughs> <laughs> and I just prefer like something darker cave and less dweller. like. I'm not a very like up, you know, kind of guy. Like more like dark, gritty. Jack doesn't want to be wowed. He wants to be disgusted. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> exactly. Oh, he likes the I was going to say, I'll never yeah, forget. It's like metal versus pop music, you know? Like going to the <laughs> caverns. And so, our first time in there, you know, we're filming because we're just like, oh, this is so cool and unique. And there is a river of water that comes out a of the stream. wall, goes yeah. backstage, and comes around to the front of the stage and the perimeter of it. And all of their main power cables are run alongside it's just that little right river. around it. And it's just like, this is like yeah. so precarious at the same time because the, the whole cave is dripping <laughs> while you're there too. Wow. But it was just yeah. super unique. Yeah. And super cool. Also, like just sending like stupid amounts of bass through it can't be safe at some point either oh jack do balloons yeah. now <laughs> what do you what i think we said yay <laughs> yeah, that was pretty random you weren't even moving that time <laughs> cool all right well i appreciate you uh coming on the podcast i'm glad that we got to got to do this i'm gonna get back to trying to master this tune i've been trying to master all day i believe in you for sure um, any anything you want to plug? Uh, obviously, go listen to your new album, which is called Digital, Digital Artifice. Artifice. Yes. Yeah. Check the album, and then we have four weeks left of Found Spaces tour with the Whittler before the end. Of the and year. with some some cool, which, uh, new things coming out, or new uh, shows to be announced for yet this yes. year as well. Oh, nice. So keep an eye on the socials. Where can people see you for the rest of the year? This weekend we are in, I think it's Fe- Phoenix is Friday, Phoenix. Nashville for Halloween, nice. uh, Grand Rapids, Miami, Boise, Idaho, Austin, Texas, Spokane, Washington, Sacramento, Portland, oh, uh, we have two shows at home in Minnesota. We're playing a really big show with Subtronics at the end of November. Hell yeah. And then we have Lunar Tide in Chicago on December 1st. And then there'll be a, a couple more special shows that we're announcing very soon yep. to be added. Cool. Stuff. And what's the best place to go if people want to find all of your stuff? Instagram is where I point people usually. Or Facebook. Go to the link or, tree. Yeah. Check the link yeah, tree. It'll have everything you want there. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks, dude. Word. Super thanks, fun. Bill. Talking. Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, You should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, But 
but just know that that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that so uh just just putting that out there